0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security for August 21st, 2020. New Mac malware targets developers while Apple keeps it under wraps. An epic battle brews between Fortnite and the App Store's policies. Plus, network-attached storage backups and more. Now, here are the hosts of the Intigo Mac podcast veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intigo's chief security analyst Josh
1: Long. Good morning, Josh. How
2: are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you there, Kirk? In the afternoon. <laughs>
1: I'm fine, Josh. You're not doing well. It's 100 degrees in California where you are. Well, I should say I'm surviving anyway. Thank goodness we have good working air conditioning. I don't like hot weather. I just can't imagine. In this week's news, we've got a couple of things we want to look at. We've got malware. We've got some App Store issues. And then we're going to talk about backing up your Mac. So let's start with this new Mac malware, which is called Xset or Xcsset or Xset? yeah i pronounce
2: it x c s set um it's spelled x c s s e t in all capital letters uh but i think is that most- an
1: acronym for something
2: no it well the x c uh, part of it it has to do with Xcode. um and and there are some uh some strings i think in the code that sort of led them to to this name but uh but x c s set is what i'm calling it and okay. uh, so, so this is, um, recently discovered Mac malware. It's got a lot of really interesting functionality and capabilities. One of the things that is pretty unique about it is that, uh, it's designed to infect Xcode projects. Uh, and of course, Xcode is the software that Mac developers use to, uh, to make, uh, Mac apps. And so it infects Xcode projects, which means that, apparently they're in part targeting developers with this malware. So one of the things that it does, as you mentioned, it steals data from certain apps. There's Apple Notes, Evernote, Skype, Telegram, QQ, and WeChat. So there's chat apps, uh, several chat apps included in that, and a couple of note apps. So, um, you know, that's the kind of place you would expect to see private conversations for one thing. And uh, in some cases, even uh, potentially, Uh, private or sensitive uh, notes that people might be keeping in those locations. Um, There's there's a couple of Safari zero-day vulnerabilities that this thing exploits. And whenever you see zero days being used by malware... Um, that's often an indication that there's some very well-paid threat actor, you know somebody well-funded I should say, um, who's behind this because you don't just burn zero days like for for nothing because on the black market, you can get paid a lot of money for finding uh, major vulnerabilities in Apple software. Um, so the fact that they're using zero days, is a pretty good indication that this is possibly developed by uh, a nation state right? and someone who's uh, doing espionage and things. And there are some definite indicators that there's spying going on here. This malware has the capability of taking screenshots of the user's screen, of uploading files from infected machines to an attacker's server, and, um, it it also has ransomware capability, of course, because why not? <laughs> That's just something you throw into all malware now. It just seems like these days. Um, and it, by the way, so one of the things that it does with uh, one of these zero-day vulnerabilities is it can modify websites that you view in Safari. Um, it can uh, modify and replace Bitcoin cryptocurrency addresses that it finds on web pages that you're visiting Um, it can steal credentials from a bunch of different websites, including PayPal and Google and your Apple ID. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that this is capable of doing. One other way that it can spread is that it can maliciously modify applications. And then those applications of course could, um, be used on another computer. And so it can spread that way. It's not just through Xcode projects. And it's, I think it's important to make sure that you, of course, have good antivirus software installed to protect you from threats like this, because there may be uh, other potential attack vectors besides just Xcode projects. Um, it's, it's generally a good idea to, to make sure that you're using some good antivirus software. Um, now, Apple does have something built into the operating system called XProtect, and didn't Apple know about this a month ago or more? Well, that's what's very interesting. I think probably almost more interesting than just the fact that we have this new, interesting malware to, to dissect and and talk about. The fact that Apple actually has known about this for a month already, possibly even longer. The X-Protect signatures, um, which, by the way, so as a recap, we've mentioned this before, but the idea behind XProtect is that it provides a, some really basic—I wouldn't even call it antivirus functionality—because it's so basic. But essentially, it's um, historically a bad download blocker. So if you download something through Safari or uh, Apple's Messages app or Apple's Mail app or other programs, you'll get a file that has a, a hidden quarantine flag on it. And so when you first double click on that file or application or whatever it is that you download, it checks uh, certain file types for malicious code or for uh, it basically checks with Apple to see, hey, Apple, do you know if there's anything malicious about this? Now, the problem with that is that once you've double clicked on it, um, that quarantine bit is removed. And uh it it won't continue to check that necessarily every time you launch the app. Now, if it's an application, that's a little bit different story because um you do still have a develop developer signature that needs to be verified. Um, and so Apple will still do that. But it doesn't it doesn't work the same way that true real-time scanning antivirus software works. So What's interesting about this, Apple knew about this in July, but they didn't say anything to anybody in the anti malware industry. Um and and this was the response kind of across uh across the board. Everybody scratched their heads and said, Wow, okay, that's weird. Apple has some new signature. It doesn't match anything that we can find in any public, you know, malware repositories, virus total or anything like that. Um, and we haven't seen anything like this. Um, and and I, I talked with colleagues in, uh, who work for a lot of different uh, anti-malware companies. Nobody had any idea what this was.
1: And in general, companies share this information. I mean, each company wants to be the first one to discover some malware, but then, as you say, they upload it to the site VirusTotal so other companies can be able to protect against it.
2: Right, in fact, so the the anti malware industry and of course, we're all competing, but we also are friends, <laughs> like we we have friends across the industry and in all sorts of different companies, and so while we're competitors, we do work with each other and we do share samples with each other, but Apple doesn't share. And yep. that's that's I, I think the one of the big takeaways here is that Apple secretively, I mean, they didn't like make any ado about this. They just put a new signature out there and said nothing else about it. And uh, and so that means that people have been vulnerable um, to some degree for the past month uh, while Apple did little more than offer, you know, a very weak, by the way, signature.
1: And it's worth pointing out, of course, that Virus Barrier protects against this X66 set or XCS set, as you prefer to call it. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Okay, the big news in uh, Apple circles this week is Fortnite. Fortnite is a game developed by Epic Games, and... Several days ago, a Fortnite update for iOS contained a sort of store where Epic could sell games directly. Was it games or add-ons for the games? I'm not sure. This is clearly in violation of Apple's uh, iOS App Store rules. And Apple immediately um, removed the game, and they're threatening Fortnite with um, removal of their developer account. This is – Epic is trying to um, frame this as David versus Goliath, and the thing is that Epic's a pretty big company as well, something like $5.6 billion in revenue a couple years ago. Um, of course, Apple just hit the $2 trillion market capitalization, so there is a, a difference in scope. Um, Epic is complaining about the 30% that Apple charges in the iOS App Store. They're complaining about users not being able to install apps outside of the iOS App Store. And as we've said many times, you know, we just talked about Mac malware again. We just don't have this on iOS, and that's the nature of the platform in part the way the operating system works, but also because people can't install their own apps. So what if Epic wins, and this is a long-term fight, and what if Apple is forced to let users buy or install apps from outside the iOS app store? And well, first of all, we don't necessarily want to dive into
2: all aspects of this. It's being widely discussed um, in a a lot of places where they talk about Apple news. But I think the most interesting thing for us to focus on is is the security aspect of it. And so um, one of the things that I think Epic would like to see and a lot of uh, iOS developers would probably like to see is applications being available through some other Place besides the iOS App Store, right? Um, that's been something that a lot of developers have wanted for for a very long time, basically ever since the App Store existed. Um, of course, when iPhones first came out, there wasn't even an App Store, and so you could uh, you know, eventually put an icon on on your desktop that would have launched basically like a web application. And you can actually still even do that, but it just it's not the same when it comes to something like a video game. Um, which, uh, you know, you, you want to have done right. Uh, and you really need an app on the device to do that rather than load from a web page every single time. So there are some, from a development perspective, uh, possibly some legitimate reasons why you might want to distribute an app outside of the app store. Now, it seems like Epic's main thing is they, they want to Um, avoid the so-called Apple tax with in-app purchases. But so what what if this were opened up? What if Apple were forced by the courts, say, to uh, allow the installation of third-party applications? What would be the security implications of that? Um, I think one of the, the biggest things is that Apple would no longer necessarily be vetting all the apps that are available on the platform. So right now, one of the things that uh, that goes on behind the scenes is when a developer submits an app proposing that this should be available in the iOS App Store, Apple has uh, a review process. So they have some automated functionality um, and they also have human reviewers who look at, at many of these apps and assess their quality and make sure that at least at a quick glance, that they're following all of Apple's requirements, all of their guidelines.
1: You you said something important here because we're talking about security, but Apple reviewers do also assess the quality of apps, and they won't approve apps if they duplicate functionality that's already in the operating system. And there have been a lot of issues around people who wanted to maybe do a certain function a little bit better.
2: Well, yeah, that's absolutely true. And of course, there's whole classes of software that aren't available on iOS, including um, antivirus software. (laughs) Um, In fact, uh, at one point, uh, Intego actually did have a scanner app that was available on the iOS App Store. But at some point, uh, you know, Apple decided, oh, well, we don't think that there should be antivirus software. And so we're just going to ban it altogether. Now, uh, the only thing that Apple did allow at that, even at that point in time was to be able to scan uh, uh, files that were stored on the device. You couldn't really do like a full scan of the entire system because Apple just doesn't allow that level of access um, to iOS apps. It was better than nothing. At least you could scan your files that you had had downloaded. Um, But now Apple just bans that altogether. And there's no way to have real true antivirus software on iOS. One could argue, well, yeah, but because you can only get apps from the app store, you don't need antivirus software, right? I would argue, yeah, you probably should still be able to have the capability of installing antivirus software because of things like exploits, which can make it possible uh, using a vulnerability to install malicious code, or do things uh, that you're not supposed to be able to do on iOS. That, so it is possible for malware to exist on iOS. We have seen examples of malware on iOS. Um, it's not super common, but it can and does exist.
1: But this malware is limited by sandboxing, which means that it can't access the operating system. It can't access certain types of files. Um, so it's not going to be in any way the same as malware on a Mac.
2: Well, it, sh- it should be limited by a sandbox. And, and by the way, when I say that uh, iOS malware exists, I don't mean that there's like an active threat in the wild right now, but there have been cases of iOS malware in the past. Right. You, you mentioned sandboxing, and that's really interesting. So um, the thing is that if you get malware on a device, um, there are potentially vulnerabilities that could be used to escape from a sandbox. Um, And then you could do things that you're really not supposed to be able to do. So I guess the thing is like, if you've got this this layer of uh, automated assessment and manual review from human beings, and they're checking for things that among other things include making sure that an app is not egregiously violating someone's privacy, um, there are at least some controls over that, um, that the App Store reviewers uh, look at. Um, if, if you're just completely bypassing that whole process, now there's, uh, the accountability is entirely on the developers, and you have to trust a third-party d- developer who's not going through the App Store. Um, and how do you know that uh, it's as safe as something that you could get from the App Store?
1: And we've seen this with jailbreaking of iOS devices. And we've always recommended that jailbreaking should only be done if you really know what you're doing and if you're really willing to trust all the developers. Because with jailbreaking, you can sideload apps. Um, But there are risks. And I think for the vast majority of people, these are risks that they shouldn't take. This is a really complicated issue. And as you mentioned earlier, a lot of it's about money. We're not going to go into it anymore. There'll be a whole bunch of links in the show notes about What's, what this may lead to, because partly this is antitrust, partly this is abusive, dominant position. And just from a European perspective over here in Europe, the EU looks at this kind of thing a lot differently. They look at, you know, it was the EU that brought the the cases against Microsoft for Internet Explorer. Remember that? Internet Explorer, that that a browser being bundled with an operating system led to this huge case. And now, you know, Apple's got Safari and... Yeah, it doesn't
2: seem to matter anymore. Everybody's bundling a browser with their operating system now.
1: Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about backing up your Mac, a number of different ways you can back up your Mac.
0: You already know that Intego loves Macs. After all, Intego has been making world-class Mac security software since 1997. But did you know that Intego Antivirus is also available for Microsoft Windows? If you've got Windows running on your Mac, either in Bootcamp or in a virtual machine like Parallels, VMware, or VirtualBox, make sure to protect it from malware just like you protect macOS with Intego Security Software. Intego Antivirus for Windows is also a great solution for your friends and family members with Windows PCs. Download a free trial of Intego Antivirus for Windows today, and when you're ready to buy, use the link in the show notes for a special discount. Don't use Windows? Don't worry. We've still got a great deal for you. First-time buyers of Mac Premium Bundle X9 can get Intego's powerful Mac security and utility suite at an incredible 40% savings by using coupon code PODCAST20 at checkout. Intego, makers of the best protection software for Mac, and now for Windows, too.
1: Okay, how many times have we said you have to back up your Mac? You have to back up your Mac once, twice, three times to multiple locations. And we say this uh, in broken record, kind of. We'll link to three different articles I've written on the Intego Mac Security blog, talking about backups. Um, one of them is how to back up your Mac data with Time Machine, where I walk through how you set up Time Machine and I point out a couple of tricks that are interesting to make your Time Machine backups more reliable. The second one is how to back up your Mac to a NAS, a network attached storage device, and the third one is a comparison of Intego Personal Backup and Apple's Time Machine. Um, they both work a little bit differently. Let's just start with Time Machine. Uh, like me, I'm pretty sure that you've got Time Machine on your Mac, right? Yep. Yep.
2: Yeah, it's it's important. It's basic. Um, it doesn't have uh, necessarily all the functionality you might expect from backup software, but it does a pretty good job.
1: Yeah. And to me, one of the best things about Time Machine is it's automatic. Once you've got a disk set up, you don't have to think about it. And here's something you might not realize, that if you've got a laptop and you're out and about um, and you're using your Mac, every hour the Time Machine software is keeping a snapshot of your files and what's changed on your Mac. And when you get home and plug in your drive or when you can access your network drive, it backs up all those snapshots. So... You can be working during the day, and if you lose a file, you can actually go into Time Machine before it's backed up to an external disk, and you'll be accessing those snapshots on your machine, and that's really useful. Yeah, definitely.
2: As as a, a road warrior, you might call them uh, somebody who, who works on the road all the time with their laptop, uh, that's a really great functionality because you don't necessarily always work in a situation where you can have a drive, an external drive, plugged into your Mac.
1: Yeah, you could carry one with you, um, which is not a bad idea. If you're on a trip, for instance, you can get a little portable self-powered drive for less than a hundred bucks, but it's good to know that it's keeping these snapshots while you're going on. Now, one tip that I like to point out about time machine is you can use multiple hard drives. So I have two time machine backups. What happens is every our uh, Time Machine will use the next one. You could have three or four. I don't know what the limit is. And this gives you extra redundancy. Also, what, what's happened over the years is I think my first Time Machine hard drive was two terabytes, and then my next one was four, and now eight. So you've got these older drives, and you've got more space, and you can disconnect the old drives and reconnect them. Um, if you option click on the Time Machine icon in the menu bar, it says Browse Other Backup Discs, so you can connect an older Time Machine drive to look for files that may be on a backup that's five years old on a different drive. And and that means that Time Machine can even be archival backups. Do you have a NAS, Josh? I don't currently have a NAS at home, but I have used network-attached storage in
2: the past, and and it can be very handy. You don't necessarily always have a, a drive that you have with you, as I mentioned, but um, sometimes even, especially if you're using a laptop, you walk around the house, uh, maybe you don't necessarily have one place where you're typically using your laptop, or maybe you actually use it as a laptop and you're not really plugging it into other things. Um, that's where network attached storage can be really useful.
1: Well, another reason it's useful is if you have multiple Macs in your household and you wanna have a, a, a sort of centralized backup system, you can use a NAS for that, and you set up the user accounts for all your users because you, you're probably the guy in your family who handles all the hardware, right? Um, you set up the user accounts. None of the users need to worry about it, and their Macs get automatically backed up. Now, I have long wished that you could do local backups of iOS devices. Because not everyone has the bandwidth to do these, um, to up their devices to iCloud. The only way to back up a device locally is to connect it to a computer, or you can do it with Wi-Fi, um, either with iTunes prior to Catalina or in the Finder. And people just forget about that. And, and I think these backups are really important. A, a NAS is a really interesting device, and, and I've got one for two purposes. One is to use Plex. Uh, I have a lot of videos that I've ripped from DVDs and Blu-rays. And Plex is software that manages videos and music and photos and a lot of other types of media. Um, A NAS is essentially a little computer in a hard drive enclosure. Now, mine has two. You can get them with one hard drive. You can get them with 24 hard drives. They come in all sizes. But Plex needs a computer. It needs a processor to convert the video on the fly. And rather than keep my iMac on all the time... Um I can use the NAS. It's very low power. It's very quiet, surprisingly. Um and so one of I have two discs in the NAS. One of them has got my Plex library, the other one I use for backups of my MacBook Pro, and there's a lot of empty space. I'll probably add an additional backup from my iMac as well at some point. It's just the, it's a good kind of device if you have a lot of data and you want to protect it. I've actually used an iMac for media uh,
2: sharing in my home. So I, I've I've used uh, the iTunes app on an old Mac to share audio files and video files to primarily Apple TVs in our house, but also anyone else who uses the the iTunes app can access that at our house as well. Um, but I've definitely thought about using Plex. I, I've known for years that I really want to switch over to using Plex and uh, and having that set up on a NAS. Um, so at some point I'm going to get there. I'm not quite there yet, but I definitely want to do that at my house
1: as well. I've been using Plex for a long time. You have to remember, it doesn't work with, um, uh, movies that you bought from iTunes. Right. Because they're protected. They have DRM. But if you, like me, have ripped a lot of DVDs and Blu-rays, um, then, you know, wanting more control over the way you watch your movies or TV series, Um, The Plex is really wonderful, and you can use it on any device. You can even set up Plex. I think you have to buy the Plex Pass, which is basic functionality is free, but if you buy the Plex Pass, you get additional functions. You can even use it to access your Plex library remotely. So you could be on the other side of the country in a hotel room and want to watch a movie on your iPad, and it tunnels through the internet to get into your library um, so you can watch whatever you want. And this it actually works quite well. It's not the time that you're gonna be traveling a lot, but it is something to think about in the future. Using a NAS, you can also use Time Machine because you can back up with Time Machine to a network volume. One of the problems with this is Time Machine, when it backs up to a network device, whether it's a time capsule or any other network device, Time Machine backs up into a disk image. And what I've found over time is that disk image gets corrupted. You get this message, oh, we can't read this. We'll have to delete it and start over. And that's not really ideal um, when you're doing backups. So you might want to use Intego Personal Backup because Intego Personal Backup Well, you can make a disk image. You don't have to. It can copy the files individually. So in my article, Time Machine Compared to Intego Personal Backup, I look at the differences between the two types of backups. And for me, they've long been complementary. Um, on, on the one hand, you've got the automatic nature of Time Machine going every hour. But of course, you can set Intego Personal Backup to run. I have it set to run every day overnight. Um, you you have a lot of options for which files you copy. Uh, one of the problems with Time Machine is it sort of copies everything except for folders you exclude. But with Intego Personal Backup, you can exclude say, specific file types. Let's say you don't want to copy your movies. You just put the file type in wherever they are, and you can exclude them.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of uh, much more advanced functionality, and that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. With Time Machine, um, it's very basic. There, uh, it, it does a good job at what it does, but it doesn't give you a lot of control if you want to be uh, more specific about, I want to back up these particular things and not these other things. Um, so, and And as you say... It's certainly possible for for somebody to use both um you can use either time machine or personal backup or you can actually use them together like you do um and I think that's uh th- there's a lot of utility in that because you have so much more control. you've still got the like Apple official backup with time machine, but you've also got um, an additional backup. To make sure that you just to make sure right just in case time machine fails because it does happen from time to time um making sure you've got another backup is a really really good thing to do
1: one other really great feature i like in personal backup is the synchronize feature and let's say you've got an imac and a macbook pro you can set up a synchronization task and you've got your two devices connected maybe even over wi-fi one of them is mounted over a network and you want to synchronize your documents folders. Now, yes, you can do this with iCloud, but that takes iCloud storage. Um, you can just run personal backup on one of the two Macs, and it'll check the files on both of them and copy the most recent ones. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to get I mentioned um, maybe in the last episode with this 27-inch iMac that isn't really for me. I'm looking forward to this rumored 24-inch iMac with smaller bezels, with Apple's new uh, processors in it. Um, I hope we're going to see something like that this fall. I I think it's obvious that we're going to see some new non-Intel Macs this fall. I'm banking on the lower end iMac being the smaller one and at least one uh, laptop being updated in the first salvo.
2: Yeah, well, we know we're getting some non-Intel or Apple Silicon Macs sometime this year. So um, fall seems like a great time to do it. So yeah, we'll see. Um, Only time will tell.
1: We're getting pretty close, as far as I can tell, to the release of macOS Big Sur. We're, we're probably just a few weeks away. And since the iPhone is delayed, I'm kind of wondering if macOS is going to come out well before iOS 14. So I think the next few weeks will be interesting. Definitely.
2: Yeah, Big Sur is going to be pretty cool when it comes out and and uh, we'll be ready for it.
1: OK, until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks
0: for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com.